welcome to the Communities Podcast. I'm Vicki Hellenbrand, Partner and Public Sector Practice Leader here at Baker Tilly. The Communities Podcast Series brings together Baker Tilly value architects and state and local government leaders to discuss latest trends, industry highlights, and real-world examples impacting local governments, utilities, and school districts. Stay informed on current challenges and future opportunities that can help your community win now and anticipate tomorrow by subscribing to our episodes. Let's get started. Hello, I am Susan Reed and I work with the Baker Tilly team in our municipal finance team and specifically some of my efforts as of late have been focused on working on ESG-related initiatives and sustainable projects for the communities and school corporations that we serve. Jeff, do you want to do a quick introduction? Yeah, thank you, Susan. Jeff Hammond, I'm a senior manager on our K-12 team. I've been in this role for about 10 years. I started in 2013, and I do a lot of work with school corporations in the state of Indiana, helping with comprehensive financial planning. I also do a lot of work helping through the bond issuance process and do some capital and operating referendum planning as well. I am the son of two educators, so I always say I've kind of got a little bit of that in my blood, and I'm happy to help out with school corporations in this capacity, just kind of wearing a different hat. I love that. I never knew that about you. I am actually the proud daughter of an educator myself. So it's it's a special treat to have a parent who is invested in the system for sure. And we want to take the opportunity to welcome a special guest today, John Kinney from the Monroe County School Corporation, the Director of Business Operations. John, do you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, my name is John Kenny. As Susan said, I'm Director of Business Operations for Monroe County Community Schools and excited to be on. We're implementing a lot of environmental or green initiatives currently and in the near future, and I'm happy to talk about those today. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. So today we're going to be talking about ESG and specifically going to hear what Monroe County Schools is doing to implement some of that within their organization. They've got some neat things going on, which we can get into shortly. But I guess first, Susan, I'll start with you with a question. What actually is ESG? It's a great question and question that's not, unfortunately, super easy to answer. But in a nutshell, environmental, social, and governance is an opportunity to build a more sustainable business and a key differentiator for both corporations and public entities like school corporations. ESG provides a valuable impact for organizations, for public entities, and communities. And we believe that it's really the path forward to sustainability. It is a way in which a organization can get a better handle on things that are important to it that may not show up on its financial statements, but definitely have a financial impact. You know, when you look ahead to things that impact a organization, And corporations are very much looking at this as well. If there are strong environmental mandates or things that may affect their operations in the long term around greenhouse gas emissions, those are all things that can really hit the bottom line. From a social perspective, keeping employees, that's a big thing. Affordable housing in a community, providing basic public services such as 
public education. That also is a big piece of looking at the social part of ESG. And then finally, governance is a big factor as well to make sure that organizations are sustainable, that they have governing structures that support that with transparency. That's really critical for basically public trust in public entities, in particular like school corporations. If you're going to get a referendum, that governance piece is super important. Cybersecurity is increasingly important. That also falls under that governance umbrella of and then just really kind of fiscal planning ahead to make sure that it's going to be sustainable both now and in the future. So that's the biggest piece. And with projects, which is what we focus on a bunch, it's really various funding opportunities. And and that's really grown over the last few years and the importance of investors' interest in really things around ESG is becoming very prominent, both for public companies, not only in the States, but internationally. Really, this is a place where the States are actually following along a little bit. And John, I don't know, do you have kind of thoughts on what ESG specifically means for your organization or maybe sustainability? As I learned a little bit, we're currently more focused on the environmental or green side of the ESG, although it almost seems to me that social and governance are a part of the DNA of a school corporation. And I don't mean we have to be doing them or we already do them well and always takes maintenance and thoughtfulness, but to be social in the sense of community focused, a school, a public school corporation certainly has a lead in that just by its nature. And on the governance side, we've always prided ourselves. Some of it is state code, but a lot of it is just how you interact with your community in terms of transparency and openness about what your mission is, what your direction is. So we like to think we do those well all the time and that we're putting a big focus on environmental or green initiatives over the next one to 10 years and then ongoing. Yeah, that's the interesting thing, I think, around, you know, ESG. And when we talk to clients across the state, most of the time, our clients are, in our humble opinion, you know, progressive anyway, and they're doing a lot of these things. They just haven't really thought about it with that lens. Okay, so looking kind of ahead to what trends are we seeing now for school corporations? I can kind of answer that from wearing my hat as a municipal advisor and then can get your thoughts, John, as well as someone who's in your role. I would say at least within the state of Indiana, ESG seems to be a relatively new topic. We're just starting to hear quite a bit about this. Kind of similar to a lot of things in today's climate, it can be a little politically charged, I've found in some areas. But we've really seen quite a few different things happening throughout the state that can fall under this ESG umbrella. I would say that the first thing that comes to mind, and this has been happening for a few years now, is just the prevalence of solar projects that schools are undertaking. I read recently that the number of schools utilizing some form of solar has tripled since 2015, and that it's up to about one in 10 school corporations across the country that are now implementing solar in some form. So we've really seen quite a few solar projects being undertaken as a way to kind of minimize a school's carbon footprint, but also to achieve some very real savings from an operational standpoint. I'd also kind of throw in, it's not really solar, but in that same energy savings umbrella, we're seeing a lot of LED lighting projects that are kind of done often as a part of larger scale projects, but are being implemented in a way that's allowing schools to realize some operational savings as well. 
And then the other one, which we will get into more today and hear John's perspective is electric school buses. So there has been a push in a few different pieces of recent legislation at the federal level, the infrastructure bill that was passed in 2021. And then there's some additional opportunities as a part of the Inflation Reduction Act. But we're seeing an opportunity for schools to get some federal fundings and help upgrade their bus fleet from diesel and gasoline vehicles to electric vehicles, which John has some exciting things to say about that. But again, that is something that frees up real savings from an operational standpoint. And the last thing I'll say before I turn it over to John is within the state of Indiana and how schools set their operations budget, that's something that's done annually and it's done in advance. So to the extent that you see things like we've recently experienced with inflation and with rising diesel costs and fuel costs, being able to ship some of that into areas that aren't as impacted by those swings in inflation and energy costs, again, translates to some very real dollars whenever most schools have fixed budgets that they need to stay within. So that's a little of what I've seen from my side of things. So I'll turn it over to you, John. Thanks, Jeff. And focusing on the environmental or the green initiatives, we plan out our projects ahead of time, potentially, and then work with yourself and Baker Tilly Advisors to turn projects and estimated costs into the funding needed through the bonds to turn the projects into reality. We do that. Our current focus is on electric vehicles and the infrastructure to get them charged in a way that is not in a sense reactionary to available funding from the federal government, but we have a plan in place to completely replace our diesel fleet for all daily route buses over a period of about seven years is our plan. In terms of solar, we've done one of our elementary schools with complete solar and redone LED lighting. And then we've also torn down and rebuilt one of our three middle schools. And one of the main construction focuses of the planning of what the building would look like was the solar aspect, energy savings, opportunities in design, et cetera. So we're very focused on that. We have longer term, 23 buildings or so, maybe 25, including non-schools that are on some type of cycle of replacement with potentially two coming up in the next three to seven years. All of those will be designed and re-engineered, rebuilt with energy savings and solar in mind, thermal heat pumps, I get my terminology correct. But I just had a consultant talk to me right before this meeting how he said, you know, we're designing certain things or the way we think of it is not solar. He said, we think of it as the entire environmental impact and how we can add value with solar being kind of the reason we got our foot in the door. So I found that very interesting. We know here in Bloomington know exactly what he means by that. Solar may be the cost in terms of having to go out and get bonds, but the design in terms of everything you can think about environmentally that puts the solar on. And we have a project right now directing water flow and how you build the area where that water's flowing. So a much, much bigger 
than the word solar, even though probably that's the sexy part of it. That's the part that everybody bids out their bonds on and you get the consultants to come in and, and design. But we're learning through these initiatives and this process that the green part of it encompasses so much more than the energy produced. And we're learning and in a sense, redesigning our grounds and facilities as we learn alongside our consultants, because some of the things we're doing haven't been done before or are being done in a new way that we're all keeping up with each other together to get the certain things in place. It's not just, oh, you want solar panels. Okay. Here's how much it costs to put solar panels on your roof. You need a little structural design on your roof. You want LED lights. Okay. Solar panels are in. Here's a cost for LED lights. Nice job. We've got energy savings and we've got, so we're learning it's way more intricate than that to do it the way we want to do it, even though the sort of cynical way I described it, I shouldn't have done that because it's a very good <laughs> thing to do, but it's just the start in a way to get your power coming from the roof or the grounds and then to replace your LED lighting. But probably that's what most people think of as the sort of baseline for solar projects. What's interesting though, because I, I think that your approach is something that so many school corporations can learn from. So we appreciate you sharing your perspectives. One of the things I guess I would pose a question to you about is whether you've seen the cost. You've been with the school corporation for a while, but the cost of doing some of these projects too is much more affordable just with the decrease in the cost of those kinds of equipment essentially associated with doing that too, right? I've heard that, but <laughs> if you think about any cost, you almost have to have a year-over-year -year comparison. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of starting in costs with where we're at. So I'm taking people's word for the fact that it's cheaper, but I didn't, we didn't, and other companies I've been with, we didn't implement in a higher cost area. So it's a little hard for me to see. Certainly the technology is better. Yeah. Certainly the utilities company agreement to work with you in a variety of ways, whether it's selling power back to the grid and in summer when school's not in session or things like that is changing. But yeah, the costs are still high, but the way we look at them at the moment, and I think there's plenty of companies that do this, is how many years to net zero in a sense from your costs in your construction till your power and other types of savings can bring you back. In some sense, the project didn't cost you anything. The guaranteed energy savings providers, a very interesting model, and they owe you money at the end if their model didn't come to fruition in terms of a direct review annually of your utility bills to see if the savings are real and you will come back to a net zero energy cost, factoring out and amortizing the construction over a period of years. So that whole model of even if costs are coming down, we've still got a, in one case, a 17-year cycle where the promise from them is that all your construction costs and solar costs would have been saved at that point. And at that point on, it's all saving. So the ways of thinking of it as reducing costs are to piggyback on what you're saying in terms of the costs are lower, but then the promise of net zero and, and all savings is a fairly enticing way of looking at it and not just like 
somebody's pipe dream. There are targets to be met and contractually amounts to be owed to us if these savings aren't achieved. So it's much more legal and guaranteed than just somebody's sort of pie in the sky. We think you'll save a lot of money. Yeah. Um, it's laid down and it's in a contract as to this is what it has to do, which is uh, certainly appealing to myself and our superintendent. Absolutely, for sure. And I do have to share, I didn't share this in my introduction, but in working in a prior role, I was with the utility and, and we really, I can see the shift in how utilities support school corporations and these kinds of endeavors and just, you know, really throughout their footprint here in Indiana, for sure. So, Jeff, what are some opportunities that you're seeing, you know, for schools to diversify and, and John hop in here too? So I mentioned the solar and the the bus projects. I think we're also seeing opportunities from a bond funding standpoint to designate bonds as ESG bonds. There are, you know, some stipulations that Susan, I'm sure you know more about this than I do, but some stipulations that if a project is geared in a certain way that you can qualify for these designations. And again, this is a relatively new thing that we're seeing, but certainly all indicators point to bonds being issued this way as potentially having a greater pool of banks and, and underwriters who are willing to purchase these. There certainly are investment pools that have prioritized ESG initiatives in where they make investments and allow investors who have those interests to identify opportunities. And not only bonds that are designated and by doing that designation, you essentially call out the things that align with these priorities and how the proceeds are going to be used. And then just track to make sure, in fact, those are being used in that way in an effort to better allow investors to have confidence that the projects are doing what you said they were going to do, not being greenwashed or something. But also just kind of in looking at better disclosure for clients that we're working with around the kinds of things they're doing. We're also finding that banks and other entities are just really kind of looking not only at whether the bond itself is going to do it, but what these organizations are doing to see if it aligns again in keeping with the kinds of investments that they want to be making. So we're seeing kind of a push for both of those things. John, from your perspective, I mean, is there any kind of gain do you think that you get from community goodwill by the things that you're doing as a school corporation or community outreach? Oh, absolutely. I don't know if we market it, but the discussions we have in a lot of cases, there's a lot of different ways. You guys know the rules as, certainly as well as I do, but what the citizens have to be communicated with, how you process or by Indiana code, how you're forced to be transparent with a certain level of process and explanation through your board meetings prior to getting the bonds. And so we use a lot of that time and to explain the, in this topic, the green nature of, of some of the things we're doing, whether it be solar or other energy initiatives or electric buses, that in some cases it costs more. And that's okay because we're going to give you cleaner air. We value that as a community, a county, a city to have cleaner air and less diesel emissions. And that's a large part of our initiative to have an all-electric fleet over a seven-day-year period. 
So yeah, they're social in their goodwill's a hard thing to categorize in terms of other than anecdotal or people told us this kind of thing. But there's a lot of maybe even beyond anecdotal in our community that when we pushed for our recent referendum, we got very strong support. And you never fully know why people are on your side. We do surveys and things, but you have to believe that the continued push to do things for the community's benefit and the citizens' benefit, in our mind, not everybody will agree with you, but in our mind, we're doing a lot of things for those reasons, if not everything we do. And you have to believe that just the more you live in that world, the more you keep community support up for all your initiatives stays high because over time they learn you mean what you say, you say what you mean. And we like to think we, along with the city, et cetera, do those things here in Monroe County. That's great. That's good stuff, John. And something else I think to add that these ESG initiatives get leaders and things within the schools and, and just across the board to think about is to start doing some planning as well and planning around things like cybersecurity and around even environmental disasters that just kind of get people thinking about these things more. I mean, I think every time I check my email, I've got some phishing or scam email going on and they can be really costly. So I, with my municipal advisor hat, I'm always thinking about costs. And I think by giving some forethought into those type prevention things that can lead to some real savings as well down the road, at least in preventing some real disasters. Yeah, operational pieces. And also there, there's a component of kind of keeping employees happy and invested as well with ESG that we haven't really hit on, but really looking at the supporting employees to allow employees to have stewardship opportunities, to, you know, to invest back in the communities and supporting them with things like paid paternity and maternity leave, things that really make employees also more invested in the organizations. And I think by doing a lot of good green things too, it also gives, it's great to feel good about the place you go to work, right? Okay. What we really want to talk about now is the projects that Monroe County is doing to transition its busing fleet to an electric bus fleet from the diesel. I know you already have electric buses in place, but tell us about that. Tell us about the process of what you're doing right now and the infrastructure that you're putting in place to support those buses. We started with available money and transitioned to a strong plan to implement it. About four years ago, maybe even longer, I started, I've been here about six years, about four, four and a half years ago, I believe, they did a final settlement with what we refer to as the VW Mitigation Trust, where Volkswagen had to pay the United States monies that were then redistributed to the states. And Indiana took that money and offered reimbursements on the cost of electric vehicles to start. We were one of the early applicants to that and were able to receive funding to make our first electric bus cost approximately the same as a regular diesel bus. We received that bus and we learned along the way about all the intricacies of even one bus. How do you charge it? What is, in, in our case, your energy provider, but in our case, Duke Energy, need to be aware of? How can they assist? How can they help us eat the energy needs for charging? And then the next year, there was still round two of VW money. We were fortunate enough to get two additional buses at close to cost. 
So at that point, we had three buses. I think it was as late as December of last year that we got up to three and built three charging infrastructure, working with Duke, looking at incentives, et cetera. And about the time we got reimbursed for the first three buses, the big initiative from the federal government, well, there were, there were two. There was a third initiative called DERA. I think it was Diesel Emissions Reduction Act that gave money, and we were awarded four buses. The rebate wasn't quite as big, but it still made electric buses much more affordable than full price. But at the same time, we were in the process of getting buses there. The federal government, as Jeff mentioned earlier, through the EPA program, there's a lot of ways they refer to it. I think ARP is, is part of it, but it generally becomes EPA clean diesel or EPA EV or however you look at it, gave the opportunity for school districts across the nation to apply for certain number of electric vehicles. So we were very optimistic and then turned out to be very disappointed in the fact that they did not fund as much as earlier led to believe, but towards the end of it, they were a little more accurate in what we had heard about how the funding would happen. So we did not get any funding. And as we looked across the state of Indiana, Indiana it got very little fund for any of its districts, a bus here, a bus there kind of thing, not even a quarter or even close to a quarter of what people in Indiana requested. So we had made the plan earlier that you have to order buses well ahead, supply chain, other reasons, or at least make a commitment if it's not called ordering its intent or something. So the 10 we had on order, we decided to go ahead with four of them being eligible for the DERA reimbursement. And then the other six that our plan was and the discussions we had were potentially we could wait all the next decade for federal funding and bite our nails to the actual date where the awards do or don't come. And we've made the commitment internally that we will go for every federal dollar we can get. We will remain optimistic at all the future rounds of reimbursement for EV buses and charging infrastructure. But we're also not going to wait. We're going to implement our plan through a series of bond funding or, or potentially a little bit of operations funding and continue fleet replacement over the years with federal funding when we can get it. So that's our current model. We have 11 buses currently, well, 13 here within 30 days with charging infrastructure to charge those buses and a longer term plan to have 23 buses by the end of next year with the infrastructure ramped up to accommodate those buses. And that's still taking shape about what it looks like, but we fully expect this spring to have some design work on what the longer term infrastructure will look like for charging those buses and continuing what I mentioned earlier about not just we put chargers in and pull up electric buses, but potentially building solar into it and a redesign of our transportation lot for water runoff and environmental spaces around it, et cetera. So thinking big terms in terms of our long-term focus on the electric bus and transportation in all its aspects. I would think having the solar right there to support it also is better for the grid as well from a reliability perspective. Yeah, we're in consultation with Duke Energy right now. How does that work when we don't run buses in the summer and how we're ready to give dollars back to the grid, et cetera? So it's all part of implementation. Part of figuring out the newness of the puzzle, right? So. Yes. 
So John, this is exciting stuff to hear. What are some things that other communities or other schools that are planning to take on some of these type projects, what are some things that they should be thinking about as they look into these more? The EPA program was very diligent, even though it ended up without getting any funding and it had weekly webinars for over 10 weeks and let you know how to apply. And it guided you through a lot of what we had already done, but I knew a lot of other districts were following along. Who sells the buses? What size charging do you need? And it gave you all the details, unexpected range and sort of building the day of a bus and how you got it charged and a lot of that stuff. But we were a little bit further along, having been running three buses with some more on order at that point. What most people are doing is saying, I want an electric bus now. What do I need to do? We were a little different in saying we want a fleet. How do we head towards a long-range plan of, of having a fleet of electric buses? But certainly anyone in terms of uh, needing a bus, but obviously schools, needs to know who they're buying their bus from, what type of charger it needs, what the range of the bus is. Do you charge it between the morning and afternoon route? How do you charge overnight? If your infrastructure is going towards more than maybe one, two, or three buses, how do you plan your bus lot for that? So general structural things, making sure your provider is knowledgeable on electric buses so that they can sort of guide you through operations because eventually as we build our fleet, we're going to have to have a stronger presence of how to work on maintain electric buses as opposed to most current fleets. So we'll need some training there. Is just how do you keep diesel buses running? And they're two very different things in terms of not having to do oil changes anymore, for example. A lot of the things about a maintenance of a vehicle change quite a bit. And uh, certainly if you have one or two, you can probably get by. Realistically, we're also learning or people need to be aware that it is an early infancy project, both for us and nationwide. And we're hopeful that buses we buy in three years will be a little stronger, more ready, and less little knickknack stuff at the start that had a few buses have to go back that exceeds a little more than the number of the diesel buses that bought new have to go back. But we're willing to accept the newness of the industry and work with that while knowing that it'll get better as technology improves and management improves and general maintenance across the nation improves, including the bus provider, as well as the districts being able to handle a problem here or there that probably currently they're sending back because they just don't know, including ours. But we've got a lot of things in the works about fleet management in terms of EV fleet management that we're trying to build towards that larger fleet that we anticipate having in the near future. That's interesting. It really does change your operational considerations then as well. Some of the things that we're seeing kind of with communities and school corporations that we're working with as well when, you know, they're looking at how to deploy more sustainable projects within their footprint, more green things in the projects that they already are planning is really kind of doing what you've done, which is that facilities and capital needs analysis to determine really how to best deploy those upcoming projects, you know, taking a lesson from what you've done to look at the projects holistically to find 
if there are opportunities for those sustainable components that make sense, and then really looking to see if there's a funding mechanism that makes sense with some grant support, with some tax credit support under the IRA opportunities, and then also if they're looking to see if there's a bond designation opportunity, if appropriate. And then really just kind of trying to track those quantifiable savings that you can, because inevitably, you know, particularly with the fiscal officers with whom we work, have those questions of really, what does this mean to our bottom line? And to your point, sometimes it isn't completely that you can see savings in the short term, but, you know, being able to demonstrate in the long term, you know, the quantifiable pieces around greenhouse gas reductions, as well as potentially operational savings is something that can be helpful. And to measure that from the get-go helps rather than have to go backward and look to see what you should have been tracking. We're about to embark on a, I don't think this is an official term, but an energy audit where our guaranteed energy savings provider is going to systematically go throughout our facilities while, in a sense, tapping into energy usage statistics and working with our energy providers to determine where our biggest bang for our buck in future projects would be, which buildings are the least efficient, would benefit most from solar or other types of energy saving initiatives or projects. Like I said, not just having them go through for solar, but for kind of a whole building, in this case, whole district, where should we start kind of approach and then working with our administration to and then Baker Tilly as well to plan out what a timeline looks like for beginning implementation of future projects where we're hitting the least efficient buildings first, turning them around into most efficient buildings, and then working through it a list that we've worked on with an energy audit. So that's our long-range plan on the non-electric vehicle side to continue this work. That's exciting stuff. We Really can't wait to see where you go with that. And thank you for being a trailblazer, you know, in the state where Jeff and I are both located in Indiana. So we really appreciate all your efforts and to share that story with, I'm sure, other people who will be interested in watching you as you go forward too. One of the things we do want to just offer up, if you're interested in finding out more information about how Baker Tilly specifically can help your organization strategically, We'd encourage you to visit our website, which is just bakertilly.com. We have an ESG place there, too, that you can access. And we just really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to today's Communities episode, and hopefully it gave you some good ideas. Jeff, John, anything you want to say to send us off? Thank you for running the podcast, Jeff and Susan, and taking a way past due topic, but making it relevant now, today, and potentially for other people in my position in other school districts. And beyond school districts, making that, getting them going and some information out there for them. Yeah. And I would just say thank you again, John, for, for joining us. And I certainly look forward to being a part in the projects that you all are doing at Monroe County and hopefully many more to come throughout the state. Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, please subscribe to Baker Tilly US wherever you get your podcasts.